to the Productivity Podcast. We're joined by Graham Wilson, founder of Success Factory today, and we're going to talk about what makes a great project manager. Morning, Graham. Good morning, Simon. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. You well? I am really well, yeah. Looking forward to sharing my thoughts and ideas. Been looking forward to this one. Should be good. So it'd be good for you to just tell us about how you landed where you are today. I think you've been 20 years plus as at the Success Factory, and I know we met in 2005, but we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. So yeah, if you could share with how you got to where you are, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. So my, my first experience was I went straight from school and joined the military and a career in military initially. I guess when you're going through that career, you don't realize actually the, the development and training it's giving you around leadership, team working, and also projects, you know, and, Always in the military, they're called different things like wars and skirmishes and things like that. But fundamentally, they are they are actually projects. You know, a, a number of little skirmishes and battles will, will actually equate to a very similar to a, you know, a set of portfolio projects within an organisation to deliver a set of benefits. So, without realising it, my first you know, nine years of career in the military was giving me a good grounding in really how to get the best out of people, how to deliver results, and and how to do that in tough mission critical situations. So that was my first experience. And then I left uh, the military and joined DuPont. And initially that was involved in running big uh, engineering projects in mainly in two sectors. Really. One was the NHS and private medical sector in terms of installing x-ray equipment into hospitals and also working in delivering projects for printing companies in, in pre-press. You know, so the the big newspapers and the, you know, the Wapping and Maxwell and Murdoch and all that sort of stuff at the time. Uh, and that was really a, a good grounding in, in actually that transition into the corporate world and you know, the difference that is in terms of managing key stakeholders and clients. And it was really fascinating, the different size organizations we were working with. So that gave me a good grounding there. And then I was really passionate around leadership. And I felt that looking at many organizations that they were what I'd call overmanaged and underled. And I felt, you know, I feel like I can do something about this. I had good grounding in the military. A lot of people think military is all about command control when actually it's really about empowerment and mission mission command and those aspects. It's about empowering people on the ground to deliver results. So I thought, you know, I can, I can actually make an impact here. So uh, 26 years ago now, um, I know that because my daughter's 26, so it was the uh, same sort of time <laughs> that, that she was born. Uh, I, I left the corporate market and uh, took the risk and started my own business. And we started Success Factory really with this remit really around yeah, how can we how can we actually change organizations that are overmanaged and underled? How can we actually create leaders who can actually awaken possibilities in people to deliver external results? And it went from there really. So as you said, we met in two thousand and five and obviously in the retail sector. And I think you know, we work with a whole range of different organizations, right from you know startups, you know, a lot of uh, entrepreneurial businesses and going through fast growth and the challenge they have when it gets to that critical point, that critical mass about how they put structure and not too much structure, but keep the, the culture that has made them successful. And then we work with the global players as well, you know, working around the world, working with leaders. And it's great to be trusted to be able to develop, you know, top leaders from organizations and actually help them to realize actually there is a better way to lead. Uh, you know, the world's changed and particularly at the moment, things are different. So we when you think about leadership and, and running projects and, and making change happen, you know, it's contextual, it's situational. So we need people who can actually craft solutions. So that's really my journey. So the last 26 years, working with a whole range of different organizations in different sectors uh, and actually helping them to, to really have a, a better impact as a, from a leadership point of view. Published author of two books, Leadership Laid Bare and the New Leadership Manifesto. 
That, um, well, the first one, Leash at Le Bear, came about from uh, a challenge. So I'm a big fan of simplicity. Uh, I believe, you know, certainly in the project arena, we try and make it too complicated and we tie down delivery of stuff in, in terms of complexity and make it far too complicated. So I'm a big fan of one-page plans, so I really believe any project or change should be able to, you should be, should be able to summarise it on one page. And uh, we were doing some work uh, with a strategy with a global organization and the CEO challenged me and said, okay, I get the idea about these one-page plans, Graham, it's been great working with you and, and we've articulated our 80-page strategic plan into one page, which has been really fantastic. So thank you for that. But give me leadership on a page. And this was about seven years ago now. And I, I have to be honest, I having taught leadership for a long time, I suddenly struggled to actually articulate it in a, in a very concise way. So that really led me on the track to distill it down to what I now call the 10 disciplines and look at what is it leaders need to do now and in, and in the future to be successful and, and decode it and, and make it really simple. And that's really what formed the foundation of saying, well, now I've got it on one page and I've got it down to 10 key disciplines. That's where the book came from. So the, the book really talked about or talks about why we need to change the way we lead. What does great leadership look like? What are the great leaders in the world doing right now? Not just the, you know, what I call the, the hero leaders, but you know, the, the leaders that people don't know about in, in, the, in businesses that day in, day out, they're delivering great stuff. What is it they're actually doing to be successful? How do you then develop as a leader? And then what tools and techniques do you need to be successful? And that's really where the book came from. And the new leadership manifesto then came from, so... Okay, so give me give me a, a book I can read in about thirty minutes. And I, w- I was actually um, inspired by Ed Sheeran and, and a lady called Amy Wadge who wrote Thinking Out Loud in in twenty minutes, I think it was. And I thought, I wonder if you could write a book in twenty minutes. <laughs> you can't. Well, I can't anyway. Uh, and uh, the book really is about forty five minutes. Uh, the New Leadership Manifesto of a, a summary of of the ten disciplines. So if you want the short version, it's the New Leadership Manifesto. It doesn't tell you the how bit. You know, the leadership they will tell you the the why, the what, and the how, and that's where the two books came from. It's really great to be able to decode what what great leadership was, and writing book gives you some really good rigor to then be able to articulate it. And then a lot of the the new world curriculum that we we deliver in, in organisations is based on on those concepts. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for anybody who's written a book, and, and you've got two. So we, we will reference those when we yeah. publish this in the, in the blurb about the the podcast, so people can check those out. It's interesting, so, linking, linking, it, linking it to uh, project management. Uh, I actually I actually set it up as a project. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was really great to think, okay, so why am I, why am I actually doing this book? What's the purpose of the book? Uh, and then you were scoping it out and then thinking about where I'm going to get all the data from and then you know, crafting the approach and then delivering it. So it was you know, like a mini project. Really. So you, know, you can use, use these it. techniques in all sorts of your, your ways of life, can't you, in delivering stuff. Do you get it on one page? Yes, yeah. So I've got a, a one-page leadership manifesto. You're happy. It's on the website. You can download that. It's, it's free. Uh, a lot of the content I, I believe now is I, I like to give them the content away because it's not about the content really for me. It's about how you apply the content. So we're, we're, where we come in really is helping people to understand how do we connect to the content and how do we actually make it happen for real in organizations. You're saying with project management, you know, I find it still find it amazing where people are paying for project management methodologies. When it's all out there anyway, what we need to do is work out how do we actually use it and what skills we need to actually make it happen in the workplace. I think it's nicely to talk about kind of the future world. So lots of buzzwords about pivoting being one, innovation, all those key things that people are starting to or have done in this strange time that we're heading out of. 
And there's probably going to be a real focus on organizations to deliver projects, maybe not the ones that they thought they were going to deliver, maybe focusing on different things, and they need people to do it. Most organizations take great store managers, hotel managers, because it's their next development step or almost outside of that. So either into a field role or, or a central role. Take them out of their existing environment, bit of a steer. This is your boss. This is your boss's boss. These are some people that might be important. Go deliver. And then I think wonder why maybe at times it doesn't go yeah. particularly well. This links us actually to how, to how we met. So in 2005, I went through that journey. Development route for you. You've managed some big stores in DIY. Come work in an office role out of the scheduling project that you've been part of the working group. Uh, here's a couple of million quid. You kind of know what you're doing. Off you go. And it was like, mm. oh, this is a bit different. I don't really know how this works. And there's a lot of politics at play here. And I'm going to have to upset some people. But actually, I don't know which ones I'm going to need to upset. I don't know how, how to do that, if I should mm. do that. Mm. Um, and that first five, six weeks was all about just working out the lay of the land. Who are the people that can get you the stuff that you need to do? Now you're getting people diaries when they don't know who you are or mm. your project's just another one of the 15 projects they sit on. And I, I learned quite quickly, secretaries are really important in that role. Always, always make friends with the secretaries. Definitely, um, yeah. So it brings us to the, I suppose, the question, does it does a line manager, store manager, hotel manager, office manager, or it may be, make a good project manager? Great, I great question. Think I, did all right. I, I think I did all right. I think in hindsight, I could have done a lot better. When we had a couple of sessions with you guys, it bought, in my mind, a lots of things together. So all the chaos, the change curve, mm-hmm. all those bits that we kind of knew about, but nobody had taken the time mm-hmm. to sit us down, how to build a project plan, what stakeholder is, what a milestone is. Sounds simple, but mm-hmm. running a store, never have to think about any of those things. Yeah, does a great land manager make a great project manager? I think they can, and, and you certainly have, which is fantastic. And I think for me, as, as you mentioned there, the, the difference, and you're, you're taking someone out of one context and putting them into another context and expect them to fly straight away. And it, yeah, I, th- I see that across the board. Obviously, we met in retail, but it happens in every organization where people go, okay, yeah, you've been really great at hitting all your KPIs. You're fantastic at running your store. So uh, let's uh, let's give you some development and put you into a project project role and deliver some you know, major benefits to the organization. The challenge you have, of course, is your know, line management is is completely different to to project management. You're in, in line management, you're in a, an environment that's already set up for you. You, know, you walk in as a store manager and you've got that positional power. You've got the environment set up, the processes, the ways of working, your operating model are all there. It's actually a matter of actually then making that happen and inspiring the, the guys on the ground and, and making it really happen and delivering processes you require to deliver outstanding customer service. When you then become a project manager, and, and I can remember you sort of making that transition, and suddenly you you ripped out of that, that environment that is set up for you into an environment that you now have to set up yourself. As a line manager, you've got people reporting directly to you. So not only do you have positional power, you have that reward power. And it's very easy to walk into a meeting and get things done because people listen. And in, in a project management environment, you have to use a different type of power and different type of influencing skills. And, and I can always remember going to one client and saying, Graham, we need some project management training. And um, uh, can you deliver stuff around planning and milestones and all this, or, you know, all this project management speak sort of stuff and critical path analysis, all that sort of stuff. And when I start to talk to the, the project managers um, in there, it's actually, they're pretty good at planning. Yeah, they're pretty good at doing a lot of stuff. 
what they struggled with was the stakeholder management, as you mentioned there, the politics, the influencing and the persuading bit, because you're now having to work where you don't have people reporting to you. You're now having to go to people who are already busy doing other stuff and having to then you know, influence them to actually help you on your project without that control that you had as a store manager. So I think, yes, they can if they make that realization is that I need to change my way of leading because it's different. I'm in a different context. It's a bit like if you said, let's think, if I go back to my military days and let's if we took the first Iraqi war and, and you think about the the American general, Stormy Norman, that, that ran that. And if you, you took Stormy Norman out of that environment and I know got, got him to run I know, Virgin, for example, and put Richard Branson running Iraq, it, it probably wouldn't have worked as well as it did because the, the context and situation is different. So I think that's the first point. I think the, the second point is organizations are, I think I mentioned this already, are notorious about making project management a black art. It's almost like, you have to have these subject matter experts and it's these these people who talk about in a different language who actually deliver stuff in a, in a magical way. Um, and they don't have a framework or a guide to actually guide people through uh, a, a project a life cycle. And it becomes very difficult because there are, you know, there are lots of different project me- methodologies out there and it gets very confusing. So you've got things like Prince2, for example, organizations will use. You'll have things like uh, user-centered design or human-centered design you'll have waterfall, um, you'll have agile, and all these are different methodologies that, that start to get very confusing unless you understand how to actually decide what methodology you're actually going to use in a situation. So a lot of the work we've done with big organizations is to take what they've got and actually create a, a simplistic framework that guides people through. So when you make that transition to a, a project manager, you've got a guide, you've got a framework. It's not a restrictive framework. It's really a set of questions that guides you through the setting up of a project because a lot of so-called project managements in, in big organizations are not really a project manager. They're actually a deliverer of someone else's plan and they have no idea of all the stuff that happens up front. What we do is we tell people to run the full life cycle, you know, right from understanding to scoping to creating your project team to then crafting your approach and then delivering and then obviously embedding it and making a new normal. I think there's two things there. One is it's a different situation, so your leadership skills have to change. And the second thing is the complexity that organizations put in place in running projects and the bureaucracy and the challenge that you actually have to actually get things through. Yeah, a lot of organizations, when we start working with them, they say things like, it's like walking through treacle here, trying to get a decision made, or I can't get this signed off, or I've got to go through filling out 45 million different templates just to get this bit of project done. This is an absolute nightmare. I need to operate quickly. The one thing's done quickly, um, but we can't do it. So they're probably the two the key, key factors. So I think if you can understand that you need a different type of leadership, and I'm more happy to talk about what that looks like. And the second thing is if you have a really good methodology that is very adaptable and will actually guide you through step by step what you need to do in a more effective way. Some of the projects that I'm seeing people doing now, particularly at the moment, are what I call foggy projects where you know you need to change, you know what you've got is not working, but you're not really sure what the problem is yet and you don't know what the solution is. So a, a traditional project management methodology it's not going to work in that situation there. So how do you deal with that situation where it's very ambiguous and uncertain? So that's where you know, more of an agile approach will, will start to, to work. And so I think having, you know, having these tools in your toolbox and actually then being able to 
adapt your approach and, and craft the right approach for the situation you're in will, will actually help you become a, a great project manager. And, and you probably found yourself somehow you? that it's a, it's a journey. You start off with, wow, this is different to now worked out how to how to manage stakeholders. You made a good point there about getting to know people's secretaries. <laughs> one, of, one of the things I've always challenged uh, project managers when they make that leap uh, into to running projects in, in organizations is you need to know the strategy of the business as well as the leadership team. And you need to know who owns different parts of the strategy. Because if you know what the strategy is, and you know what your project is, and you know what your how your project links to the strategy, and then you know who owns that part of the, the strategy and, and who's dependent on those KPIs being hit, then suddenly you've got uh, a really good uh, influencing platform to be able to then base your project and the people you need to get on board to actually deliver it in an effective way. So I'd probably say that there's two things. I think, yes, definitely, if they make that realisation and they get the right development. Yeah, it provoked a few memories in, in my mind as you were speaking. There was a couple of bits that, that are really clear and vivid. There's that realisation that if I'm a full-time project manager on that project, probably everybody else involved isn't full-time on it and it's not their day. They've got a day job, should I say, mm. and you're extra work in that. So it, it is back to that leadership skills. There was a couple of other things that I probably fell foul of quite early and, and learned some hard lessons. One was around managing bad news. Yeah. So, from the environment I came out of, if there was any bad news, you could contain it in the four walls or you mm. had an escalation process to HR, mm. regional mm. manager, whatever it might be, facilities. All of a sudden, I've got a project plan and it's gone off track mm. because the people that are dealing with the IT have let us down or the equipment's mm. not arrived. Mm. Stuff mm. that's outside of my control. Mm. And delivering that news to a senior team, which mm. are people that I probably saw once a year in my store, if it, yeah. if it was good, if it was bad, you'd see them a lot because they'd come back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you're working at a level two or three, you're working with a team of people two or three, four levels above where you would normally interact. So there's mm. some pressure with that. And, you know, if I do it wrong, is this going to my career type stuff? But all of a sudden you've got to tell them, I know I promised it for here. The, mm. These are some things that haven't mm. gone to plan. Here's mm. some things that mitigate mm. that. And these are the reasons why, what do you think? Mm. And the amount of times... I saw, because there was a, a couple of other projects running in parallel with mine, mm, mm. the project manager would know the lay of the land intrinsically. The amount of time these things went to the senior team and it got mm. filtered down or the message mm. slightly blurred. Then mm. in, in hindsight, there was a couple of moments when if we'd have probably been braver and more honest, and it was probably too early in our journey and too early in the project mm. and nobody mm. senior probably wanted to know mm that because they don't mm. own the hats on it so that yeah. was a lesson for me of yeah absolutely there's a number of things there one one is for me when you were talking there was about uh, the culture of the organization i think one of the things i realized when i started running projects in the corporate world is that i suddenly realized actually that a lot of the senior teams uh, and this is obviously a general statement is they're brilliant line managers and they've got to where they are because they're brilliant line managers and the assumption i made is they understand projects you understand programs, you understand projects and how you deliver stuff. But actually the realization is that they're fantastic line managers. And that, you know, for example, is that, you know, exist, insisting on an end-to-end detailed project plan when it's really, really foggy. And, and I see a lot, a lot of that in 
things like you know going going down the omni-channel route all those years ago in, in retail and digitizing what we do you know, there's a lot of unknown so all of a sudden things like you know a go live date becomes set in stone and actually the go live you know the, the t- it's not a time-based project it's a, a right first time project so there's a lot of thinking you know, of all world thinking that we have to as a project manager we have to educate senior people so it's around you know how do i how do i influence them when they're supposed to be the the subject matter experts and know everything uh, and they don't and so how do i do that in a, in a powerful way that gets them on board um, but also how do i then really make sure that i'm not over committing you know, I, I see it all the time where people say well i need to know how much you're going to spend you know what the scope is going to be what the end end-to-end project life cycle is what the milestones are and as project managers then we we actually then commit to that don't we we commit to this project plan and we know it's going to change and we then get beholden to that and say well why is that changed well you know you forced us to actually do this end-to-end project plan when actually all we could do really do was plan the first stage and i think there's an education there. we do a lot of work with um you know how you sponsor a project and i think a lot of senior teams they again the very general statement is they don't realize actually that you know the sponsor you know actually owns a project you know the project manager is there to deliver it for the sponsor and the sponsor is responsible for the, the delivery of the benefits. And uh, yeah, the, the classic statement, isn't it? If it goes well, it was down to the sponsor. If it goes badly, it was a project manager. <laughs> we probably all felt foul, foul, yeah. foul of that at some stage in our career. Uh, but you're right, though, isn't yeah. it? Is you, yeah. you, you're, you, you, you commit yourself to a plan that you know is going to change. So it's about how do I how do I head that off early on? And the thing I find is, is the setup of the projects in the first place is the thing that normally goes wrong. There's not a deep understanding about why we're doing the project. You know, is it really desirable? What's the case for change? How does that fit to our strategy? You know, does it really help us to achieve that? Is you know, is is the change feasible and viable? You know, have we got you know technology partners who are credible in this area, or are we going down a route where this has never been done before, so it's quite risky? So that whole desirability, feasibility, and viability at the front is really really important. Then once you've got that in place and, and it's uh yeah okay i think it, it's definitely desirable it's feasible and it's viable then you need to then spend time putting a team together and i think that's where it goes wrong and one of the things i i, I created a framework called change pro which is really linking change leadership and change management with project management and typically what happens is the project managers uh, installed as the subject matter expert to manage the, the technical solution you know, to the problem, whatever it is, process, new technology, whatever it is, new customer journey, whatever it is, the tech solution. And then the change is left to someone else. Uh, and, and when I say change, um, I mean getting the business to want the change. So if we're in retail, for example, if we're doing a new store format, for example, I've got to get the store manager, the regional manager, the divisional manager on board to, to really work with me to accept this new store that I'm going to deliver for them. I can't just rock up on a Monday morning and start ripping things out and start changing it without getting them on board. So that whole change piece and project management, I see it happen a lot, in, in mainly, mainly in large organizations where you've got the HRE sort of type people doing the, the change stuff and you've got the technical people doing the project stuff. And really, it should be should be on one plan. It should be one one team. And, and for me, I always challenge project managers when I'm working with saying them, you know, how, Where's, where's your change plan? Where, where are you building that awareness and desire for the business to actually want this change? How are you actually going to educate them? How are you going to develop them? How are you going to make sure that they're going to support you to, to really drive that change? And I think that's a, another a challenge I see there. So one is the level of thinking at a senior level is 
you know, it's probably not as good as it could be from a project delivery point of view. And a lot of seeing teams don't realize actually that the way you deliver a strategy is through making change happen. So if you're having to have a, a transformational strategy in place, then you need to be really capable at, at delivering change and projects. And you mentioned before about innovation. Your innovation for me is around how you develop really great ideas and then how you actually land them in the business to, to add value. So from a retail point of view, it's about you know, how do we add more value to our customers and reduce our cost at the same time? That's a key element, really, about making it all work. The other thing that you mentioned earlier was about methodologies, and then you kind of mm. turn that into a framework. That's one of the things that I learned very, very quickly was somebody can give you a Prince 2 book or say this is the methodology we use. Mm. Certainly within a retail environment, that should be used as, in my experience as a framework because if you try and follow that to the letter you will never achieve anything it totally just ties you up in, yeah. in milestones and reviews and yeah. there's a point of we've got to get some stuff done so that the overarching theory and framework is brilliant to give you some structure yeah. but implementing that to the letter mm. would just yeah. slow it down to a degree that you grind to a halt i think well, i think i think the the structure and process is the easy bit, isn't it? They, they call that the hard side of projects, but I think that's the easy bit. It's the people bit, isn't it? It's the influencing, the teamwork, in the uh, you know, stakeholder management, you know, the marketing, all that stuff, which is new to people. And you know, I, I can take someone who's never done a project in their life before, put them through a five five day Prince Two project, you know, practitioner course, and at the end of it, they become a, a Prince Two practitioner. They've never done a little bit of project in their life, uh, but they know the process. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's only a tiny little bit of it. And I think I would say is that 80-20, isn't it? You know, 20% is the, the methodology you use. And then the 80% is is the culture, the people side of it, really. And that's, that's really the you know, biggest, going back to your first question, really, we run a, a session called a Project Leader Workout. And it's really about looking at six key skill areas. So the first one, of course, is is you as a leader. And, you know, as a project manager, you really, it's really down to how well you build your team around you. So you can't deliver the project yourself. It's about building a great team. Yeah, I, I did some coaching for a, a fantastic project manager a while ago who, who suddenly started to become unstuck and, and, and not delivering. And what happened is they he'd started off with smaller projects um, and then got bigger and bigger and bigger until he got this massive, massive project that suddenly became yeah, the, a catastrophe for him. Really. So his boss was saying to him, can you give him some coaching? It's great, great project manager. Something's going wrong. What's, what's happening? And what I found out really is that on the smaller projects, yeah, he's a great, great person, fantastic person, but he was doing the work himself and he got away with it in the smaller projects uh, and it suddenly got to this point of critical mass where there's no way he could actually manage this and do it himself. It, you know, so what was happening, he was keeping himself so busy trying to do the stuff that he shouldn't be doing. He didn't, didn't have then time to go and do the stakeholder management stuff or speak to the senior team or... You know, go and talk to the the users and things like that. So the project was just going downhill. So I think for me, the six areas one is one is leadership, and and that's for about you know going down to the basics about how you make a positive impact. It's about being you. Uh, it's about being collaborative, and it's about how you make a, an impact uh, as a leader. And then there's a whole team building bit about how you build high performance teams really quickly. And I think you know a lot of a lot of project managers, when they when they move into projects, it, it goes straight into delivery. And rather than thinking, actually, you know what, I need to build the team first. Let's build the relationships first, build the team, get that in place, get the key stakeholders on board, and then we'll start to deliver. 
So managing that that stakeholder anxiety gap is is really important. And then of course you've you've, you've still got the whole project management stuff of planning, coordinating, quality, risk, governance, change, and all the reporting sort of stuff that that goes with it. And it's sort of the hard side. And another aspect as well is around your ability to be able to um, keep, I call it, keep the momentum going around learning and reviewing. And you know, I, I see it all the time where at the end of a project, people will do a, a PIR sort of process where they, what was that project we did? What did we learn from it? And they, 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 in retrospective, they're trying to learn the sort of the last year or so, all the key learning points, rather than actually being an ongoing process around learning, reviewing, and, and building the team and, and delivering stuff in that way. And then the key aspect, of course, and you mentioned that earlier on, is this whole thing around the politics area around stakeholder management. And that's really about the first thing is, how do I identify who they are in the first place? That's probably the biggest challenge, isn't it? Who, who are my stakeholders? And, and who are who are the ones I need to really get on board? Who's got the power? Who's got the influence? Uh, who are the people who are, things like, the you know, question I always ask myself is, who, who wants me to fail? <laughs> who's, who's betting on me to fail? So how do I get them on board? Once I know who they are, then how do I engage them? Yeah, how do I how do I really uh, work with them to to get them to want to help and support this project? And as you mentioned before, they're already busy. They've already got KPIs and and tasks and stuff they're doing already. So they're already working at hundred percent doing other stuff. I now need to get some of their time to work on my project. So how do I engage yeah. them? And then how do I manage them on a day to day basis? But the last bit then, there's the sixth area really, which is something which is really important, which we tend not to do is is and building your marketing skills. Yeah, how do I actively build the project brand, uh, my project leader brand, um, share successes, uh, but still remain humble? I think that's a key element as well. Yeah, and it, there's some random stuff. I remember we we had to do two conferences, and it, again, all of a sudden you're being asked to stand up in front of your what were your peers? Well, still are to yeah. agree. And we had one year we had to dress up as chefs, and the other year we had to dress up for did army celebrities with <laughs> the theme. Yeah. in its kind of first or second year and that's all stuff which is way way outside of any comfort zone that you've ever mm. thought about so there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't think about the, the stakeholder management one I, for me was key and probably still is yeah. in, in the project work we yeah. do i certainly found in the early days like you say there was true stakeholders as in they're part of this and they mm. own this and there was mm. almost pseudo stakeholders who had a really strong yeah. opinion and were very influential that actually had nothing to do mm. with it but did or didn't buy in i found quite quickly a great way to get them involved was because we were a retail organization was to kind of say okay let me know when you're out visiting stores and if you don't mm. mind i'll come along for the day mm. and at that time in the car where you're just having a chat about you mm. know how your kids and what you do and mm. oh, you know where did you start build mm. that personal rapport which then as the day goes on by the end of the day you're in a hopefully a good place if you've got a real understanding of their interests in it what they think is good what they think the risks are but also then you've got that rapport that when you do need to just go and have one of those turn up at the desk conversations of hi how you doing mm. i could do with a bit of support mm. you've got that personal level yeah. and i found that was probably the best way for me of doing it of going into their world and seeing what interested them and it they may have been in mm. IT, loss prevention. I learned some stuff, but actually it, it, it was a brilliant way of connecting for a day. Absolutely. Yeah, that whole 
the whole empathy isn't really about seeing it through their eyes and, and things that are struggling them. You know, their, I call it the pains and gains. You know, what's their the emotional drivers for them and how are they seeing a project and what are their, their hopes and fears, if you like, in terms of the project. Because there are, yeah, there are a lot of projects on there what you get involved in which are cross-functional uh, projects that are going to impact on people. And I can remember you know, things like a new process going in that's going to really impact on the supply chain. And we're looking at this project plan and thinking, when, when were the supply chain guys involved in this? Because this is being done to them rather than with yeah. them. Uh, and they're thinking, this is going to be a disaster. It's, going to, it's just going to be a car crash because they're just going to resist this. Um, so we had to very quickly then sort of backtrack and, as you rightly said, you know, build those relationships. And I always talk about avoiding the what I call the dead body syndrome, which is most uh, project people are so focused on the tasks and deliverables, which is yeah, obviously important to deliver, but the way we do that is through our people. So you've got to build those relationships. You've got to build relationships with your team. But you've also, and, and the way you describe that is perfect, is, is you've got to build a relationship with the stakeholders and you've got to have that, you know, that humility. I mean, you go in there and just, just ask the question and listen and you know, absorb what they're saying and their concerns and their worries and their hopes and their aspirations and then start to feed that into, into your project plans. But going back to retail, you're changing the stores in, in retail is that if you don't get the store team on board, all they're going to do when you arrive with your project team is they're going to make it difficult for you so it's going to make the project really difficult to deliver in the timescale. You get them on board, they're going to help you and support you. So absolutely right there, definitely. The whole, the yeah, whole the, cultural the, relationship bit is key. We more and more get involved where projects have got IT. And I always, there's a bit of a one of those big red revolving mm. lights that goes up in my head when it's a it's really a change project, but it's IT-led. Yeah. And that's, that's no disrespect to those IT no. people, but it becomes very much mm. about what solution are we going to use? Yeah. What are the features? What are the functions? Mm. What, how are we going to test it? How are we going to deploy yeah. it? How are we going to cut over all those bits? And you sit there mm. and think, mm. but somebody at the other end has got to press the buttons and mm. they're not in the mm. room. Yeah, yeah. And that's back to, you know, store layouts, yeah. another example of you go with the plan. This is what we're yeah. going to do to your store. Yeah. Well, why would you put that there? Because that doesn't make sense. Oh, it's signed off now. Right. Yeah. So now I've got kind of lighting next to plumbing. Yeah. That, that's yeah. really not logical. Yeah. I'd have light bulbs next to lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, those, it's the same in any other mm. organization. Mm. Those golden nuggets and pearls of wisdom are always there. It's how you yeah. engage in asking. Yeah. I think, I think people, yeah, people get sort of like caught up don't they, into trying to do things really, really quickly and, and being really effective. But actually, that actually you can speed up by slowing down and just take the time to go out and visit the stakeholders, go and do the, the visit with them, build the relationships. And, and there's these golden nuggets, aren't there? These golden nuggets you find out, you're thinking, oh my God, I didn't know that. I need to put that into the project plan. And they're key, and you can't do that if you're rushing around. So that, that whole concept of you can really speed up delivery by just slowing down a little bit and really thinking it through, getting the right people on board, listening to what they say, work in a collaborative way. You know, people don't like being done to, do they? They want to be done with. So how do I how do I actually build them into it? How do I build that awareness and desire and that 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 sort of support from them to actually really make it happen? That's where all the change piece comes in. I always think any project should start with a change piece. You know, most most projects I see the change piece happens after you've gone live. And I'm now trying to you know, uh, manage the resistance when it should actually be the other way around. Should We should start with the change, get the business really excited about the change and wanting the change so that when we then deliver the solution, it really works. And you're right about the alarm bell. And I know it's a very general statement, but I, I have exactly the same. When I, when I see a, 
a customer team-based you know, project that's been led by IT, I just don't think that's right. It's got to be led by the business. It's a, it's a business solution. IT are a supplier of a solution, you know, not the control of it. So it's got to be owned, hasn't yeah. it, by the business. I totally agree with that. The other thing, and I know we're kind of we're moving around, it's all on the same topic, so that's good. I learned as well that sometimes you will never get everybody on board. There's always going to be, for whatever reason, history, whatever it might be, politics has, has been a mm. word we've used quite a lot in this podcast. Yeah, People that, that don't want to be on board, um, mm. and some of that is absolutely outside your control. And again, I, I learned you've got to listen to those people because their opinions and, and voice is valid but you can't please all these classic saying you can't please all the people all the time. So you, again, you've got to yeah. be straight with them and say, I really appreciate your feedback. This is the stuff mm. we can influence. This is stuff we can't, mm. but actually this yeah. is still coming. So we yeah, can't absolutely. avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's difficult. And that's the leadership skill, isn't it? When you, you have that, that connection with that person, you built that relationship with that person. I think what I found is that people tend to get resistant when they're not included. I think you know, inclusion equals commitment in my mind. So the, the earlier I include people, uh, the easier it is then to actually get them on board. And, and actually you have to sometimes, you know, re-educate them. You know, people don't change their mind unless they change their mindset. So if they're stuck in their, in their ways, then you know, it might have been successful in the past, but the world's changed. So I have to spend my time educating people to get them on board, to understand actually there is a different way of doing it. Um, and I think if you're a busy project manager trying to rush around and do other things, then you haven't got time to do that sort of stuff. That's where it can become difficult. You know, if you, you mentioned there about going out and having the time to go and speak to the stakeholders and, and go and spend time with them and sit in the car with them and drive around with them, do the store visits. If you're really busy doing stuff, then you haven't got time to do that. And that's, that's a mistake, isn't it? You've got to spend that time. That's what the sort of things that you need to be doing to make it happen. But you're right, there are going to be situations where people won't agree with you but you've got to then step up haven't you and, and say okay well that's great this is the decision this is what we're doing and drive it forward and I think even if they still don't agree they appreciate you've taken the time to listen talk to them and been mm. straight with them of yeah you know sorry but it is what it is there's some stuff that just yeah. later powers happen so I think you've come up with the six key bits that really define a great project manager some good reference points. We've talked a lot about leadership, about negotiating, about influencing frameworks mm. and how you prioritise your time. I, I suppose it comes down to in the way yeah. you identify that time well spent building relationships is actually going to pay dividends further downstream and help you with some of those fog projects and training Absolutely. through treacle to get, get things done. Yeah, yeah so definitely. In, in, today, in today's world then, as we think about there's going to be lots of new tech, new initiatives because of I don't know, health and safety, cleanliness is going to be mm. more important, managing queues is going to be different. Mm. What does effective project management look like in probably tomorrow's world? Uh, well, that's a massive, massive question. I, I think first step is we've got, to, we've got to simplify it. We've got to step back and go, what, what is it we're trying to do here? Yeah, I, I think you can... You can run a project on six questions. So my, my six questions are, first one is, number one is, is the change desirable? So having debate around, you know, what is it we're doing here? Why are we doing it? It's really important. Is the change feasible and viable? So, you know, can, can we do it? Have we got the technology resources to actually make it happen now? And 
And actually, will it will it save us money or make us money? And so is it viable? Next question then would be is, who's driving the, the change, who's delivering it, and who's implementing it? So I think there's a you know, good set of questions around the team element there. And then this bit is, you know, what's what's the best approach? You know, what's the what's the project and change plan? So what what methodologies are we going to use? Are we going to use one method or are we going to use a combination of, you know, it might start off in an agile way and then move into a, uh, I don't know, design thinking stage and then into a, a delivery stage, you know, a step-by-step approach, paint my numbers approach. Um, so what's the what's the best approach we're going to take? Um, how are we going to land the change? So that's the actual delivery stage of it. You know, how do we... How do you actually make it happen in the business? And the final then is is, is about how how we make the new normal. So I think if we can move away from the complexity, the bureaucracy, the desire for end-to-end project plans, the you know, the lack of trust, I guess, in in, in senior teams, and, and actually start to operate in a more collaborative way and ask questions in an effective way to then drive the thinking. And I think that's what that for me is what project management is going to be like in the future. We, we're going to have to deal with a lot of uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So we can't have these, you know, cookie cutter step by step. You fill out that template, do that template, do this template, fill out that, get that signed off, and do this. I just don't think that's going to work anymore. We need we need leaders and and probably move move away from being having a project manager to a project leader. You know, so someone who can actually create this environment ask the right questions, collaborate effectively, really lead people, get people inspired about it, get people on board and deliver that way. Yeah, on the back of that, yeah, we still need all the, 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 the traditional project management skills, but it, you know, it is going to be different. So I think that's probably the, the first step. And then having this ability to craft solutions. So one of the mistakes, I'll go back to you, said, one of the mistakes I see organizations doing is that someone from IT goes away uh, on an agile project management course and comes back and is very influential in the business and says, every project we now run in an organization should be agile. Uh, or they go away and they they do some stuff around human-centered design techniques or design thinking. They come back and we, we then run every project in that way. And I think what we need to do is move away from that and actually think about what's the best approach for the situation. So rather than just doing, we're actually balancing that thinking and doing spending more time in the setup, the understanding, the scoping, and the, the team stage before we get into delivery. So I think that's probably the, the major changes I would see. And then educating senior senior teams to to really move away from the obsessive reporting and you know all the, the sort of uh, detailed information and meetings they have and the control they put in and, and loosen off the governance a little bit. Still, still have it, you know, in, in a quality and an insurance point of view, slow that in place, but allow project leaders to deliver in a way that's effective so that whole management by exception you know spend the time setting it up get clarity and then really empower them to to get on and one of the things like when i'm talking with sponsors and one of the realizations is that they don't realize that their role is to ensure that the project manager or project leader is successful and their job is to remove any roadblocks or difficulties they have i think a lot of senior people see their job is to manage the project manager and it becomes you know over over complicated yeah i know project managers for example will spend all monday um writing a, a plan about what they're going to do that week and on friday have to write a report on what they've done that week um so in, in a sense of essence they've only got three days of work really and i think that's just crazy so i think that that whole empowerment piece and 
So there's a bit a big big change from a leadership point of view for them to get comfortable with ambiguity, comfortable with with people delivering things, um, but still keep control, but but have that direction, autonomy, and support. So probably the key things yeah. I would say going forward. I love those bits of advice, and the, the two that resonate with me are one: the reporting. I've been there, done that. Flash reports, yeah. updates, daily updates, weekly updates, Monday updates, board updates. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Um, you can spend your life if you're What's, not careful writing reports. Yeah. And yeah, it, what, I think what the value is that really adding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Other than you kind of trying to make it look like yeah. you've done something, other than writing yeah. reports. Um, and I think that key bit of stakeholders understanding that they're not managing the project manager, they're managing the project manager to be successful and, yeah. and sometimes unfortunately that means that there comes a point when that project isn't going to work so yeah. it's being brave because a su- successful project for me is delivering it or understanding yeah. at a relatively early point this isn't going to work and killing it absolutely i think yeah, yeah. we we all see yeah. those projects that are meandering yeah. because mm. nobody's quite brave enough or everybody's got too much yeah. skin in the game to say yeah. it's not really going to work um, absolutely so, so that 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 whole yeah it's brilliant um, we're on the right tracks yeah. here's here's some steers and some thoughts to get it to where it needs to be we're actually saying look what everything's telling us instinct data costs this isn't going to work we've got to pull it that i don't see a lot of that i see lots of well we're kind of that far in we'll just get to the end and it's kind of going to peter out mm. so i think there's right. still yeah. bits around yeah the old world, isn't it, is uh, what's your project plan? Okay, I'm going to sign that off and I'm going to baseline this project. So you're going to deliver this amount of stuff in that time for that amount of money and then we'll measure you on on what you've done along that life cycle. You could do that in the old world because the pace of change was so slow and you know, you, you're know experts at retelling or whatever you do, so you can actually plan in detail. So I think those days have gone and we need to get comfortable, as you said there, is that we are going to fail and, and you know, how many projects do we see that we know it should be spot, stopped but we spent like four or five million or whatever so we've got to carry on because no one's brave enough to say well actually you know we spent four or five million it hasn't worked let's stop it let's kill it and I think that's where the leadership comes in it really where that realization is that it's okay for a project to fail as long as we know what the reason is and we learn from it and if the setup's done right, then you know, this is a project that we're going to test, we're going to try out. We, you know, right from the start, we might know this is going to fail, but that's okay. It's a bit like elite sport, isn't it? You know, to get to become a, an elite sports team or elite sports, like, you've got to push the boundaries. And I think in, in many bureaucratic organizations and oldie world organizations is that we're killing that innovation because people are, are afraid of actually failing. I, I call them um, watermelon projects. So watermelon man projects, you know, the, you know, the big watermelons, which are lovely and green on the outside, but when you cut it in half, it's really red on the inside. And how many, yeah. how many projects do we know that are you know, held up in esteem and going, this was a really successful project. And it was really successful because it was delivered on time for the right budget yeah, and the right scope and all that stuff. But actually it made no difference it made no benefit difference, so it didn't improve anything. It didn't save us money. It didn't make us more money, but it was a successful project because it was delivered on time to the right scope. Yeah, and 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 I think that's crazy, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah, it comes back to some of that stuff of if it's successful, the stakeholder takes it. If it's not, the project manager takes the kick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you try ten dark times, drive innovations, pandemics, world wars, all those points. If you try ten things for work and you've done it in an agile way or a, 
yeah. a, a way that accelerates. Six don't, but you learn from those six, and the next mm. ten, six work and four don't. That's progress, and you've still yeah. landed ten out of twenty yeah. things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and obviously you've you've not landed, so you've got a fifty percent hit rate and a fifty percent kill rate. But actually, yeah. if it's about learning and growth yeah. and innovation, mm. that's part of that process. Yeah, um, and and that's a big education um, piece, and I think. I think you know the the situation we're in now is probably you know people talk about pivoting and it's amazing it's amazing in how suddenly uh, for example um, you know the IT project the government must have run to actually pay the the furlough sort of scheme they deliver that in a few weeks you know that would have taken years wouldn't it normally <laughs> to deliver yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it can be done people, can't it yeah yeah people have spun up home delivery in two days yeah. It's been and it's been on the their too hard to do list for eight years. So yeah, innovation it's, drives it, drives change. Yeah. And some of it won't work. There'll be some yeah. hiccups along the way with that, and some scenarios that nobody's ever thought about. But actually, eighty mm. percent mm. of it's done. So yeah, yeah. Graham, been it's been I would say emotional actually because it's brought back some memories of <laughs> a while ago and some some uh, some maybe not so good stuff. But um, it, listen, it's yeah. been great to chat. I think I think there's some amazing advice in there. If people want to. Find out more about Success Factory. You get in touch. We will link your LinkedIn profile when we publish the pod. What's the website for reference? So the corporate website is thesuccessfactory.co.uk or my personal website is grownwilson.com. I'm on uh, YouTube and LinkedIn. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, so it'd be great to link in with people who uh, want to explore it more. And if you want to find out more about ChangePro, then just go on to changepro.co.uk. And there's tons of free stuff on there. Good, good. It's been a pleasure. It's been good. We could talk about it forever. Final Final question before you go, which is one for everybody on the podcast. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? I always find those those questions really difficult because there's tons of stuff that have been really useful. But for me, I think, is about being yourself, about being you. I think as, as a leader, the more... The more you are present, the more you are yourselves, the more impact you're going to have. So I think, yeah, I, I certainly spent my early years trying to be someone I wasn't, and that just takes energy. Whereas when you start to to be yourself and, and play to your strengths, and suddenly you know, you realise actually you can't be brilliant at everything. If you you outsource the stuff you can't do to other people who are good at it, uh, and do the stuff that you're good at, and, and as soon as you start playing to strengths and start being yourself, that's when it really happens. And being really clear about linking what you do to your your real purpose so i was talking about understanding who you are why you do what you do what you do and how you do it so i think that that would be the biggest biggest learning for me i can associate with that good stuff well, it's been a Brilliant. pleasure as always Thanks, take care Sam. and we'll catch up soon cheers mate see you soon bye for now